Praise God. Amen. You got your Bibles. Tonight we'll be going to the book of Psalm chapter 23. Who there say amen? Psalm 23 verse 1 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table for me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amongst all the Psalms and writings of David, Psalm 23 is one of the most known writings. Quoted and read some amongst believers and non-believers. It's a short psalm with only six verses, but one that contains rich revelations of God's love, mercy, goodness, comfort, provision, and protection. With the help of the Lord tonight, we'll be looking closely at verse 4, the most quoted and famous of all the verses in the psalm. Uh, Tonight, the Lord wants to speak to us on this thought, thy rod and thy staff. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you, Lord, once again. It is a privilege and honor, Lord God, to be found in your house, Lord Jesus, to be found with this precious family of saints, mighty God, that you have brought together, Lord. And we pray, God, that you would speak to us as your word goes forth, Lord God. Give us understanding, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Thy rod and thy staff, I find this phrase quite interesting, the overall text of the psalm. Uh, David begins out making a bold statement. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It's funny, when I first uh, read this, when I first got my King James, and I read this psalm, it kind of threw me off. I was like, God is my shepherd, I don't want him? What do you mean? So, (laughs) King James can be quite confusing when you're first, when you're new to it. Uh, But David, what David meant by that statement is that the Lord is my shepherd, and I will lack nothing in him. As we've heard it in the Times Interpretation, God is all that we need. He is everything that we need. In him, we lack nothing. And somebody needs to hear this tonight. God, Jesus, is everything that you need. In him, we truly lack nothing. He provides everything that we need and not everything that we want. And it's important that we understand the difference between needs and wants. James 1 and 17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning, of his own will, begat he us with the word of truth that we should be a kind of his first fruits, of his creature. Everything that is good and perfect in this world is the reflection of God. And everything 
that is every good and perfect gift that comes into our life is from God. Of his own will, he chose to go to the cross and died for our sins. He died for every human being, past, present, and future, that they may receive the gift of salvation. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace are we saved through faith, not of our own selves, but it is a gift from God. By faith and the gift of salvation through the new birth, we become his children and a part of his family, the family of God. And as we heard this morning, everything that God did was so that we would be his children. The cross was so that we would be reconciled with him, that he would fill us with the baptism of the Holy Ghost and, washed, and our sins washed away in baptism. Matthew 7, 6 and 11 says, Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. To him that knocketh it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you, whom if his son asks bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If then being evil, meaning imperfect, we are evil to some extent, um, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good gifts to them that ask of him? And many people take this scripture, especially the first couple of verses, verse 8 and 7, with the approach that God is a genie, that everything I ask of God, he will give me. So I want a Bugatti, Mercedes, and a big mansion. God says, if I ask, I shall receive. But they forgot or choose not to read or understand the following verses in the context in which Jesus made that statement. Bible makes it clear that God, being our Father, will prioritize our needs over our wants. Please don't misunderstand me. God does sometimes provide our wants. He does. But he appeals to to his audience when he was speaking, and he brings up this illustration of a relationship between a parent and a child. And he says, if you being parents, you being imperfect human beings, do everything in your power to give and provide the best you can for your children, How much more do you think God who is perfect and without limitation desires to give and provide for his children? Speaking of the same account, Luke 11, Luke records this. If ye then being evil, how much know how to, sorry. If ye then being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? There is No one in this world that desires more to see people filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost than God himself. How many parents are here in the building? If you could raise your hands, please. Yeah, there's a couple here. Now, so indulge me for a moment. How many parents have done their best in their power, capability, and capacity to make sure, if not all, most of your child's needs were met. Yeah? Nice. How many of you provided every want that your child wanted? None. Why? Because as a parent, you recognize that their needs were more important and more beneficial long-term than satisfying their temporary wants. And when you could, you provided their wants. 
whenever they were, when they behaved or, you know, they did their chores, you, you gave them what they wanted. As a kid, I remember I wanted a Nintendo DS, for those who remember Nintendo DSs, so bad that I kept on requesting my mom to buy it for me. I would nagger, 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 all my friends have it, I'm the only one that doesn't. And then I remember one, one day she picked me up from school, we went to EB Games, I was so excited. So I showed her what, DS, what the DS was and what color I wanted, and, and I was really, really excited only to walk out of the store empty-handed. I was so disappointed and so mad at my mom. I was like, how could you, how could you do that to me? But several months later, I had grown another desire for it, and I stopped hustling my mom about it. And then one day when I got home, the game was waiting for me on the table. Later in life, I found out that she had the game on layby and was slowly paying it off when she could. And as a child, I didn't put into account that she was a single mother trying to look after 46 kids. You know, paying bills, school tuitions, rent, food, you name it, trying to keep a roof over our heads. Sometimes you have kids or even young adults that haven't quite well developed their management skills and they go to their parents asking for an expensive a want, and the parents are like, yeah, you can't even manage to look after a $5 toy. What makes you think I'm going to go out and get you a $300 toy, which we'll find damaged and most probably in the dirt somewhere in the backyard, buried. And some of us kids, children, young adults, we walk away mad and upset at our parents thinking they don't love us because they don't give us what we want. We prefer our friends' parents or our neighbors' parents because they seem cool. The the grass seems greener on the other side. I say all this to say this, that we sometimes are like this with God. We go to prayer, we are praying, requesting wants that are not quite essential or sometimes not necessary for that moment in time. And when God doesn't fulfill our request, we filter our perception of God through the lens of consumption. And that's the philosophy that the world teaches us, that if we... Don't receive something from something or someone, then that thing is not beneficial. That someone is not, does not love us. Just like your earthly parents, God is more important, is, is more interested, sorry, in making sure that your needs are met before your wants. Sometimes God delays to provide our wants until we are mature enough to, to handle what we are requesting or have the capacity to facilitate that request. God knows us better than we know ourselves. And as a perfect parent, he knows what and when our needs and wants need to be met or provided. Psalm 37, verse 25 to 28 says, I have been young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed, speaking children, nor his seed begging bread. For he is ever merciful and lendeth. Lendeth meaning he he bestows or gives generously. And his children is blessed. Depart from evil and do good and do well forevermore. For the Lord loves judgment and forsakes not his saints. They are preserved forever, but but the seed of the wicked shall be cut off. David understood the parental love that God had towards him. That he had towards his children. Israel. God is my shepherd, David stated. God is my father, my guide, my protector, and my provider. And in him, 
I lack nothing at all. In verse 1 and verse 2, David highlights the provision of God, how God is our provider. And in verse 3, David states that God restores my soul. As a parent, as a shepherd, it's God's desire and intent to lead us on the path of righteousness for his namesake. What does that mean? On the surface level, that statement, for his namesake, means reputation. Because of God's reputation, God leads us on the path of righteousness that we may be a people that reflects his name and reputation. But when we take time to look into God's name and what it means, God's name is Yahweh or Jehovah. His name encompasses all his attributes and nature. I am that I am. I am all-powerful, all-knowing. I feel time and space. I am eternal. I am self-existent. I am merciful, forgiving. I am loving. I am, full, I am kindness. I am the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And the titles and the list goes on. God is our all in all. And then we come to the New Testament and God reveals more of his name. Jesus means Jehovah Savior. Or Jehovah or Yahweh is become my salvation. Because of his love towards us, it is in God's nature to restore, to reconcile, and to make whole. Hence the cross, hence the new birth, he is our redeemer. God restores my soul and leads me in the path of righteousness simply because that's who he is. God would never kick you to the curb. No matter where you are in stage of life or how far you think you're falling, God's first intent is to restore you. That's why he came and died for us on the cross, so that we may be restored in that perfect relationship that was broken in the garden. Matthew 28 and verse 20 says, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. No matter how far we've fallen or how closely we walk into the shadows of death, we will not fear evil because God is ever pleasant with us. God will never leave our side. David, as a shepherd on multiple occasions, had to go rescue his sheep from dangerous predators. When they had wandered away or from the herd or when they had been poached by the predator, David had to go and rescue them because he had a responsibility and because he cared for his sheep. I bet you some of us would have been like, yeah, you can have him. I'm out of here. But David took his responsibility very seriously. And in his experience and relationship with God, David understood that God was with him no matter what. And God's intent towards David was good. Regardless of the circumstance he found himself in, whether it be a consequence of his own making or other people, God never once forsook or left his side. I will fear no evil because you are with me. And in conjunction to that, your rod and thy staff, they comfort me. This is where I'm trying to get us tonight. The rod symbolizes judgment or chastisement, punishment, discipline. Proverbs 13, 24 says, He that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chastiseth him sometimes or be times. In the moment of crisis and adversity in life, the things that our parents instill in us, their principles and values, they sometimes help us to cope 
in that moment of crisis. But when you look closely to the word or the root where this word in Hebrew, it also means clan, tribe, and by extension, family. And that staff in Hebrew means support. In other words, when we walk through the valley of shadow of death, God is with us. His family and support is our comfort. When we are facing adversity, calamity, or going through some hard times, we are not to fear because God is with us. Not only that, but God has provided us with the family to support and to comfort us always and especially in the time of need. That is why it's important that we never forsake the body of Christ. When David was at the lowest of lows, running in fear for his life, God sent him misfits to keep him company. When he was separated from his biological family, God sent him strangers from all walks of lives to be his family. David couldn't have made it through the years of exile if it weren't for the bunch of misfits he later calls friends and family. If it weren't for these strangers that God sent to him, David wouldn't be the man we read about today. David's building and making of his character did not happen in isolation of his biological family in his younger years and strangers in exile in his adult years. Family is important. Whether biological or not, family, community, a union of people that commit to love, support, and protect one another is very important and vital for our survival. And the Lord is coming back soon. And we need each other more than ever before. It is said, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go the distance, go with the unit. And I'm sorry to say life is not a sprint. It's a marathon, a hard marathon. Life can be tough and challenging, and we'll be foolish to think we can make it all by ourselves. We need people. We need other people. There are times, there was a time in the world or profession, the professional world, that what you knew was able to take you places to some extent. But currently, it's who you know and not what you know. Networking has become a vital component in people being successful in life. And Daniel says that they that know their God shall be strong and do exploits. And if we are truly to know God, it is through prayer, the word, and his people, his family. You and I are the body of Christ. And people are the mode in which God has chosen to express himself. Bible says that the love of God is shared abroad through rainfall from heaven. No. It states that his love is expressed through us, through his people, by the Holy Ghost. Ephesians 4, 14 and 16 says that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in a wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him all things which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted 
by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Family is a beautiful thing. It's a, it's a bit messy sometimes, but it's beautiful. It's not perfect, but it's beautiful. If you ever had a chance of meeting my family or spending time with us when we were all together, you will soon realize that there's a lot of big personalities. Um, with that comes a bit of clashing here and there. Maybe that's why we all scattered across the country and the world. Maybe we need some breathing room. Jokes, but, you know, life happens. I love my biological family. And if I were to go back, I wouldn't change anything. I wouldn't change it. I wouldn't have it any other way. They are the factory in which I was built and made, tested, and tried. I come from a family of six kids, plus cousins, uncles, aunties, you name it. And now we got nieces and nephews, and we recently had a new addition to the family. And I thank you to everybody that prayed for him. Yeah, he was in hospital and was having trouble digesting food. But uh, thank you for your prayers. He was able to be released, and he went back to his birth weight. So I went to see him this afternoon. So I just want to say thank you to everybody that prayed for him. I come from a family that shoots straight and asks questions later. Meaning, we speak our mind before considering your feelings. Uh, we speak to each other in a way that it may seem harsh from a bystander, but we mean well to one another. It's just how it is. You know, family of 10 kids in a house, yeah, you know, you learn to be tough. I love them, and everyone is unique in their own way, um, and they all have something to bring to the table. They're not perfect, but I love them. Um, there are certain members that I would trust in certain situations, and some members not. It's not because I don't love them or trust them. It's just that everybody has their strength and their weaknesses. Everybody brings something unique to the table. Now, if you were to line up my cousin Matthew and my brother Chi-Chi. So Matthew, he's, uh, he's built slightly bigger than me, very solid, looks like a bodybuilder. And he's solid like a brick when you hug him. And my other brother is quite short and really not, not nothing there, really, to be honest. And it still amazes me to this day that no matter how much Chi-Chi eats, guy could never put on a pound. He eats so much, but could never put on a pound. Now, if I were in a, confront in a confrontation that got physical, whom do you think I would be calling? Matthews? Okay, some of these picked my cousin because of his physical stature. Unfortunately, I wouldn't trust him to land a punch. I would be calling my brother. He's well skilled at street fighting. Not something to be proud of, but he's very skilled. So if I was in a situation that was confrontation, it got physical, I wouldn't be calling on my cousin Matthew, I'd be calling on my brother Chi-Chi. On the other hand, if I was in a serious emotional state and I needed somebody to talk to, it would definitely not be Chi-Chi. He does not have the best listening skills. So, and his empathy, not quite there. So, but I'll definitely be talking to Matthew. He's quite empathetic and he's able to listen and uh, provide some advice. But if I was in a situation where I needed somebody to talk straight to me and to put reality into perspective, 
will neither be you will neither be my cousin she, my cousin or my brother. I will turn to my other cousin, Rose, because she should straight. If I was to go to Chi Chi, he's too much of a clown to take anything seriously sometimes. And Matthew is too empathetic that he wouldn't want to hurt my feelings. But my cousin Rose, on the other hand, she will shoot straight and put reality in perspective. Like my biological family, God has given us a spiritual family that is there to help and support us. God has brought together all manner of people from all walks of lives, backgrounds, professions, and experiences that we can lean on one another. He has given us pastors, elders, and leaders from all professions and backgrounds and educations. For what purpose? That we may be edified in his love. As Ephesians 4 says, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. God does not intend for you to walk this path alone. And there is love in this family, in this room, that you will not find anywhere else in this world. The church is God's rod and staff. The shepherd usually carried two sticks, a rod, and a rod was an offensive weapon used to defend the herd from predators. And the staff, which had a bit of a curve to the end of it, was used to hook them and put them in line if they were, you know, going astray or going into dangerous territory and could easily just reach and pull them towards themselves. And today, the church is God's rod and staff. When we are going through some things, when we are facing difficult times, I don't know why, but it's natural, it's, it's natural to us to tend to run away from the family of God. And God is saying to somebody tonight, don't run away. Regardless of what you're going through, do not run away from the body of Christ. Do not isolate yourself. That is not the solution. David said, Though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because God is with me. And his rod and his staff, they comfort me. God wants to give you a hug, but he's a spirit. And he can't give you a hug. There's times God wants to embrace you and speak to you directly. Sometimes we don't hear the audible voice of God. We can read the word, but sometimes it's difficult for us to even comprehend the words of God of, because of the things that we are going through. And it's through these brothers and sisters that you see in this room that God is able to express himself to us. That God is able to embrace us. God is able to speak life into our situation. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Do not separate yourself from the body of Christ when things get hard. Instead, run to it. Run to it. The times are getting harder. They're not getting better. The times are not getting any good. They're getting more evil. And life as a born-again Christian, as a child of the Most High God, is not going to get easier. Luke 10, 1, 10 to 17 says, Then said he unto them, Nation, 
shall arise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And great earthquakes shall be in diverse places and famines and pestilence. And, and fearful sights and great signs shall there be from heaven. But before all these, they shall lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and into the prisons, being brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. And it shall turn to you for a testimony. Settle it there in your hearts. Not to meditate before what you shall answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom. Which all your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay nor resist. And you shall be betrayed both by parents, brethren, and kingfolks, and friends. And some of you shall they cause to be put to death. And you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. And these scriptures are right before our eyes. We see religious and especially Christianity being persecuted like never before. And some of these things that Jesus said have happened in the past, they are happening in other nations where Christians are killed. Not long ago, there was a massacre of Christians in Nigeria. With every day, month, and year going by, it's going to be harder to live as a Christian. We'll get tougher. We're in China, people get ratted out. The government takes them and puts them in concentration camps. It's not going to get easier. And if we think that when the tough times comes, being isolated and walking alone is the solution, it's not. You need the body of Christ. You need every single person in this place. If you would stand with me. I'm not here to instill fear, nor is it God's intent to do so. But God wants to remind us of the importance of his family. God is here. His family is here. And we need each other more than ever before. And if you've been listening closely to the messages in the last few weeks, they've been a threat. Pastor no longer ago talked about endurance. Pastor Gavin preached about prison cells, things that hold us captive. And Sister, she- Sister Emma preached on shame and how that it does not dictate your life. And God is saying, whatever you're going through, this family, this church, is your safe heaven. Don't look to other solutions, but look to God and his family. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leadeth me in the path of righteousness. For his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, God. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest the table for me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David understood the importance of being in God's house. He understood the importance of being and being surrounded by God's 
We are bound on this journey forever until eternity. Do not separate yourselves. Why don't we just lift up our hands to the Lord tonight?